Okay. Please open with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, we are returning to our study in the book of Revelation. As you turn there, I wonder, have you ever felt overwhelmed as you have been in some kind of battle? Have you ever struggled so much that you lost hope in being able to overcome whatever obstacle or challenge you were facing? Because this, brothers and sisters in Christ, is what today's chapter seeks to help us through. See, when people mistreat you, when times become hard, when temptations become strong, when your Christian faith wavers, and when opposition and persecution come against you, God wants to remind you of the confidence you have in Jesus Christ. And it's this very confidence then that we read of here in Revelation chapter 12. So let's read together this morning Revelation 12 as we continue this study this morning. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpents. 
So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, before we continue to consider this morning this vision that's given from God to the Apostle John, let us pray. Oh, Father, we need, oh, how we need to hear from you this morning. Whatever struggles we may be going through, whatever suffering we may be enduring, we ask that your words speak to us this morning. And Father, may these simply be more than words that are processed through our ears. But may they renew our minds. May they transform our hearts. And may they lead us to glorify you and your Son which you have given in love as our Savior. So, Father, oh Lord, use me to bring your word to your people in your power as your Holy Spirit works. And your word is preached so that you will be glorified and your people will be satisfied in Christ. And souls, then, will be saved by his grace. So we pray, then, for all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, what does this chapter reveal to us today? Listen. Because Christ has defeated our enemy we will persevere through our spiritual warfare. If we were to summarize the entire chapter here this morning, it's simply this, that because Christ has defeated our enemy, we will persevere through our spiritual warfare. May we then remember that while we are at war with Satan in this age, we are battling a defeated enemy. That's what unfolds here through this chapter. First, through Satan's opposition to Christ's birth. Second, in Satan's defeat by Christ's death. And third and finally, in Satan's persecution of Christ's church. So uh, that's the breakdown here this morning as this chapter unfolds. Again, first, Satan's opposition to Christ's birth, verses 1 to 6. Second, Satan's defeat by Christ's death, verses 7 to 12. And then finally, Satan's persecution of Christ's church, verses 13 to 17. So let us begin then by considering the first unfolding of this battle where we see Satan's opposition to Christ's birth. And of course, 
As we have seen throughout the book of Revelation, the Apostle John has been recording these symbolic visions of prophecy that God has given him to encourage Christ's churches to persevere in faithfulness through the struggles and the suffering of this present evil age. But as we saw at the end of chapter 11, when we come to the middle of this book, we arrive at the very central message of the book of Revelation. That since Christ will return in triumph over the kingdoms of this world at the end of this age, we rejoice in the coming of God's eternal kingdom. That's the central message of the book of Revelation, which is why we read then this glorious announcement from heaven. In Revelation 11, verse 15, that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. But this book, as I mentioned last time, is likely structured as a chiasm, which you can think of as a large X. Arrows pointing towards the middle. You start from both sides and work together then as they work and parallel one another towards the center, which then becomes the very climax of the book of Revelation. And since this is true and, and the very center of Revelation is found there at the end of Revelation 11, verses, uh, verses 15 to 19, if we move out here to our chapter, we see that Revelation 11, verses 1 to 14, and Revelation 12, 1 to 13, 10, actually sandwich both sides of the central passage, which means that they parallel one another and refer to the same period of time from different perspectives. Let me show you what I mean as we work through this chapter together. Chapter 12. Because as we begin, there are two signs that appear in heaven, right? There's the sign of a pregnant woman in verses 1 to 2. And then there's the sign of a great red dragon in verses 3 to 4. But who is this woman? Well, it actually brings us all the way back to creation, back in the Garden of Eden. Because after humanity rebelled against God through our parents, Adam and Eve, when they ate the forbidden fruit, do you remember what God said when he cursed the serpent, Satan? Listen again, Genesis 3, verses 14 to 15. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Listen, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So there is this opposition now between Satan and the woman that unfolds here in Revelation. Between Satan's seed and the woman's seed. Now, Satan's seed are those who are born under his reign in sin. 
while the woman's seed is the one born according to God's promise, Jesus Christ, together with all of those who have faith in him. So this woman, here in Revelation 12, represents the people of God. She's the people of God who we learn more about as John continues to describe her here. But he describes her here as one with the sun and the moon and the stars, which goes back then to the language of the patriarchs as we continue going through the book of Genesis. You may remember when God gave Jacob's favorite son Joseph dreams in Genesis chapter 37 that Joseph dreamed of the sun and the moon and 11 stars that all bow down before him. And his family recognized themselves in this dream because the sun and the moon are Joseph's parents, Jacob and Rachel, and the 11 stars are Joseph's 11 brothers as they bow down to him. So you see the, the sun and the moon of this woman reveal this pregnant woman as Israel, of whom the 12 tribes of Judah and Rachel's 12 sons come. That's why then she wears a garland of what? 12 stars on her head, which then symbolize Israel. So John sees this pregnant woman and she is in the midst of the pains of childbirth. And again, this returns us to the Garden of Eden. Because after God cursed Satan, what did he say to Eve? Genesis 3.16 To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And what do we read here? Look at how this woman is described. She is crying out in labor and in pain because she lives under the curse of sin and suffers under the corruption of this world while she waits for her promised child to come. So that's the first sign that we see here in this chapter that's revealed. But then we come to the second sign. It's given in heaven, which is a great fiery red dragon who's God's adversary, Satan. And here he's pictured as a grotesque dragon with seven heads, each with a horn and then three with two horns, making up ten. And each of these heads then has a diadem or a crown. But you see, like the fiery red horse that was released so that people would kill one another when the second seal was opened back in chapter 6, so here, this dragon with the same fiery red color also represents the death that comes from Satan killing God's people as martyrs. And since the number seven symbolizes fullness or completeness, his seven heads with seven diadems represent Satan's rule over the whole earth. But what about the ten horns? Well, the ten horns come from the prophet Daniel. You remember how often... Revelation refers back to Daniel. But Daniel has a vision of the four beasts in Daniel chapter 7, where the fourth beast has, guess how many horns? Ten. Ten horns, which represent the kingdoms of this world through the age. What's then the point? The kingdoms of this world are satanic. Satanic. 
They're satanic as they oppose the people of God. And so as this great dragon then in his tail sweeps up a third of the stars of heaven and throws them down to the earth, we see his power. But what's the meaning here? Again, another prophecy from Daniel. Bringing all these prophecies together of Daniel's vision of a ram and a goat, which produced a little horn in Daniel chapter 8. We now recognize that this little horn symbolized the coming of an emperor named Antiochus Epiphanes, who is described in his battle against the Jewish people in Daniel 8 verse 10, and the little horn grew up, listen, to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Do you see then how what happens on earth and what happens in heaven is connected? That Satan is in heaven warring against God's people through the kings and the emperors of this world. But look at what this dragon is doing. This dragon is standing before the woman to devour her child as soon as it is born. Why is he waiting then to eat her child? So that he can stop the child's coming to establish God's eternal kingdom in this world. But does Satan succeed? No. Praise God. No. What happens then this first Christmas morning? But the woman bears the seed that God had promised when mankind fell into sin. A male child who is born to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And this, of course, as we've seen, is a reference back to Psalm 2 which prophesies the coming of God's anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will rule over the kingdom of God. So rather than being devoured by the dragon, her child is caught up to God and his throne. Because after Christ dies on the cross, he is resurrected and ascends to heaven so that he will rule in fulfillment of God's promises and purposes in this age. Do you see then that this woman who was first promised to mankind and then was separated from the nations as God's people Israel has become Christ's church? Because with the coming of Christ, we have this fulfillment that comes in Christ of the woman. Which is why then Jesus warns his disciples of their need to flee from this judgment that comes in tribulation. So we read, for example, of Jesus' warning of this great tribulation in Matthew 24. I've read it before, but let me return. Matthew 24 here, verses 15 to 22, listen to these words. 
Jesus says to his disciples there, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has never been since the beginning of this world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened. So they are to flee, but back in Revelation 12, where does the woman flee? To the wilderness. The wilderness. See, like Israel was delivered from slavery in Egypt in the Old Testament to live in the wilderness until they entered the promised land. So here, Christ's church is also delivered from slavery to Satan to live in the spiritual wilderness of this world, of the sin-cursed and corrupt world, until we enter our heavenly promised land when Christ returns. And while we live in this wilderness, look, God has prepared for us to live here because we read that he has provided our souls with spiritual manna, with the water from a spiritual rock so that we will be nourished and cared for for 1,260 days. But do you remember the meaning of this time? Again, by looking at the parallel with chapter 11, in 11.3, we see the reference to the same period of time which refers to the first half of the final week of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Remember, the final, seven, the final week of seven years symbolizes the entire church age, which is then divided between the first three and a half years of gospel mission, followed by the second three and a half years of an intense and great persecution. Which is why chapter 11 showed us that God will protect and provide for Christ's church while we carry out his mission and preach the gospel to the nations during this time. And listen, that's what's repeated here. Once again, we see how God will protect and provide for this woman, Christ's church, as we continue to serve Christ in this age as we are in our time in the wilderness of this world. So the first thing that we learn is that this battle between the woman and the dragon, listen, it's not equal. And it's not equal since God has given this great sign that the woman is pregnant with a promised child whom the dragon is not able to devour. But he has now ascended to heaven to sit on his throne. Which then brings us to verses 7 to 12, where we read of Satan's defeat by Christ's death. 
You see, with the birth of Christ, there is a war that breaks out in heaven between the archangel Michael and his angels and the dragon with his angels. But because of the superior strength of God's angelic army, we see that Satan and his demonic angels are not able to win this war. Which is why they no longer have a place in heaven. So the great dragon Satan, that old serpent in the Garden of Eden, is cast out of heaven to earth together with his fallen angels. Which is why... Jesus describes the success of his disciples casting out demons in Luke 10, 8 by saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You see, the casting of Satan ultimately, the casting out of Satan ultimately comes through Christ's death on the cross. When Jesus and his disciples hear a voice from heaven in John 12, verses, 20, or verses 30 to 33, listen to what we read. That Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. You see, then it's through the death of Christ that Satan is cast out from heaven to earth. And how is Satan then described here? As one who deceives the whole world. He's the great deceiver. Or the God of this age, as the Apostle Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 4.4. And since Satan is the father of lies, this means that he fools or tricks us into thinking that bad is good or that good is bad. That wrong is right or that right is wrong. He deceives us to tempt us so that we will sin against God and in his deception, he even can transform himself into an angel of light. He is the great deceiver of this world. Yet with Satan cast out of heaven through the death of Christ, John hears a loud voice in heaven that declares that salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. Look then at all that Christ provides for his church. We're saved by the blood of Christ. We're strengthened by his Holy Spirit. We become citizens of God's kingdom by grace. And we receive power to carry out his gospel mission in this age. You see, like Job, Satan has accused us before God in heaven day and night for our unworthiness and sin. But he can no longer accuse us now that we've been united by Christ through our faith in him. Which means, brothers and sisters, 
that we can and will overcome Satan. And how do we overcome Satan? Well, not by our strength, not by our might, not by our effort, but what do we read? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. It's because Christ sacrificed himself as our substitutionary lamb, taking the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin upon himself in his place, in our place. Through the shedding of his blood. And it's then because of this death for us that we are no longer under the judgment of God for our sin. But we are saved from his wrath, which leads us to our testimony of him as our Savior, which will then preserve through the temptations and the trials and the troubles and the tribulation of this world. And we go on to see then that this is true even if our testimony and Jesus Christ leads to us being killed as martyrs. Because our hope is found in the eternal life to come, not in the physical life that we have in this world. And so it's this defeat of Satan by the blood of Christ and the perseverance of his church that lead the heavens to rejoice in worship. Yet, now that Satan has been cast down to the earth, there is a warning that remains for those who remain on the earth and in the sea. There's a woe that's given here. Because Satan will ferociously attack humanity with great wrath during this age because he knows his time here on earth is short until Jesus returns and finally ends his tyranny in this world. Think of it this way. Since Satan has already been defeated by Christ's death, he has nothing to lose, right? So what happens when you've got nothing to lose? Well, you go out with a bang. That's why Satan takes his hatred of God, pours all of that hatred out upon God's image bearers. So I ask you this morning, is Christ your Savior? Is Christ your Savior? Because listen, without Christ, when you're judged by God, Satan's accusations of unworthiness, they ring true. Because you are unworthy to stand before God in your sin. And you will be punished and condemned for your sin against God. Oh, listen to me this morning. God in his love has given Christ for you. Believe then on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from his wrath. Repent of your sins. Receive Christ as your Savior. Trust in what he has done for you on the cross. 
Because when? Christ is our Savior. There can no longer be any accusations from Satan. We are now judged by God with the righteousness of Christ that's given to us. You see, now that Satan has been defeated through Christ's death, this leads us to the final unfolding of what takes place in this chapter, right? In verses 13 to 17 of Satan's persecution of Christ's church. Since Satan has been cast down from heaven to earth, we see that in his great wrath, he specifically now pursues and persecutes Christ's church, who has become this woman who gave birth to the male child. But you know, in the midst of the persecution we read of at the end of this chapter, what do we see? The focus here, the emphasis is on God's protection and provision through this persecution, isn't it? And this is first portrayed through two wings of a great eagle. But why is this imagery used? Well, as is so often the case here through the book of Revelation, the meaning of this imagery is found in the Old Testament, right? Because once more, this is how Israel was described when God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Listen to Exodus 19, verse 4, where we read, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Which is why Israel was then later told by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. God gives us the strength like the wings of eagles who endure the persecution that we face from Satan. And when does God provide this protection, this provision for Christ's church? Will we read that it's for a time and times and half a time, which again would be the first three and a half years of this church age, which will remain that we remain in today as our gospel mission continues. Do you see then the consistency here of how the two halves of Daniel's 70 weeks explain the church age as they're pictured in the book of Revelation? But you know, this is why Jesus taught his disciples to prayer in the Lord's Prayer. And do not lead us into temptation, but what? Deliver us from the evil one. And what we find in Revelation is that God will answer this prayer. God answers this prayer. Yet the serpent Satan then continues to persecute God's people by spewing water out of his mouth like a flood against the church. 
And again, to understand this spewing of water, we go back to the language of the Old Testament, where floods and waters in the Psalms and the prophets in the Old Testament describe the persecution that comes against God's people. Yet again, what do we see? What's the focus? How God provides and protects his church, the church of Christ. Because the earth then helps the woman by opening up its mouth to swallow this flood. And once more, we see this typology of the Old Testament Israel in their exodus from Egypt that's now applied to the church. After all, what happened when God's people were in Egypt and were multiplying? How were they persecuted? The Pharaoh, the king, sought to destroy them by having their sons thrown in the floodwaters of the Nile River. Yet God preserved and provided for his people through Moses. And they were delivered from these waters. It also listened to how the Song of Moses described what happened to the Egyptians when they then pursued Israel. In Exodus 15, verses 12 and 13, listen to these words. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Do you see then how these waters of judgment then came upon the Egyptians pursuing Israel as the earth swallowed them? And here the earth opens its mouth to swallow these floodwaters that come out of Satan's mouth, the dragon's mouth. What wonderful news we then have pictured here. That since Satan has been defeated by Christ on the cross, he cannot and will not win in this battle against Christ's church. But this truth, <laughs> it enrages Satan, right? Which is why he engages in all-out war against the offspring of the woman. See, it's through the singular seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, that there's a collective seed or offspring of the woman who is Christ's church. But this is why the Apostle Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. This age is one of suffering for Christians and suffering under our adversary, the devil, Satan, who is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us. He couldn't devour the child, but he will seek to devour us. Yet we can resist him and listen through faith in Christ, we will resist him. Because how are the woman's offspring described at the end of chapter 12? 
as those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, God's protection and provision leads to our perseverance in the faith. So we believe in Christ and we love Christ by keeping his commandments in the midst of our struggles and our suffering in this world. What confidence then we have in Christ. We have every confidence in the midst of our battle with Satan. Do you see then that because Christ has defeated our enemy, we will persevere through our spiritual warfare. Once more, because Christ has defeated our enemy, we will persevere through our spiritual warfare. While we are at war with Satan in this age, this reminds us, God's word reminds us that we are battling a defeated enemy. So this means that our battle may be hard. Our battle may be wearisome. But our battle is only temporary. And it will only continue as long as God allows it to accomplish his purpose and plan of redemption in this age. And our victory in Jesus is sure. I don't know how many of you are students of the history of war, but for those of you who are, you know about World War II and the great struggles that took place between uh, many of the Western nations of the world and, of course, the Nazi regime that was spreading through Europe. But when historians look back at World War II, they speak of two critical days in this war. They speak of D-Day, when the Western armies stormed the, the Normandy in France there and defeated the Nazi forces. But then they also speak of V-Day, when victory was finally declared and the war ended. And what we learn through World War II is that it may have continued until V-Day, but the turning point of the war happened on D-Day, when the war was ultimately decided. And what we see here through Revelation is that in our spiritual war, it was ultimately determined on the cross of Christ when our enemy Satan was defeated, which has become our D-Day. And while we may continue in this battle and in this spiritual war until our V-Day when Christ returns, God reminds us of our protection and of our provision as we serve Christ and as we proclaim his victory to the world. What an encouragement for us to receive in our souls as we struggle and suffer in this world. May we then be those with this confidence that while we are at war with Satan in this age, we are battling a defeated enemy.
And because he has been defeated at the cross, we are those who look forward to that final day when the war officially will end. So let us live with the certainty and the confidence of that coming day because Christ has secured it for us through his death on the cross. So let us pray. Oh, Father, whatever in whatever ways we may be struggling and suffering, in whatever ways we may be battling against Satan and against the powers of this world that oppose us, may your word remind us that this is not a war of equals. This is a battle that has already been won by Christ, our Savior. May we then have the confidence to continue to endure, to persevere by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of, his test, of our testimony in him until he returns and the war is forever ended. Father, may we then live and continue living with this confidence we have in Christ. So we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.